Hello and welcome to episode 8 of What Moves Us. I'm here at the House of St Barnabas where we first started. Uh, sitting with Johanna, say hello. Hello. And we have a special guest today who is... Max from Max. DLMDD. Thanks for having me. Thanks for coming. Um, we're in the chapel so hopefully you approve of the acoustics. Could you tell us who you are? What's your name and where would you come from? But we already know your name. Yeah, I'll give you my full name. Uh, my name is Max Deluchier. Um I'm the client director, one of the founding partners at a sound agency called DLMDD. What does DLMDD stand for? Well, it's the uh, good question. Um, this is the second time I've been asked that today already. Actually, the first was by someone in Hong Kong, um, and uh, so. There's a bit of old school advertising in there. We, we work with brands on how they sound. That's what we do day to day. And in Adland, typically you, you see a lot of uh, agencies with names that are the initials of the, of the founding partners. And so DLMDD, the DL is my, the two initials in my name, which are Deli Cheer. The, uh, the M is my uh, business partner, Greg Moore. And the uh, DD is one of our other founding partners, Sasha Darrock-Davies. And there's a bit of a gag behind the name, which I can't remember if I would have told you before then. I don't remember this. Or not, but um, uh, one of the founding partners, Sasha, who I mentioned uh, last, his kids were learning. Do you know the knuckle song on the, on the piano that kids learn when they're growing up? And they like roll their knuckles up the black keys of the piano. And he goes, da-da-lum, da-da. And he said, one day he said, when we were starting the agency, he said, guys, maybe I'm going mad here, but I, uh, I, I was in... Uh, I should have rolled my knuckle. Gonna, people can't see what I'm doing, can they? But um, uh, he said, I maybe, should have filmed that, yeah, I? maybe we could do that afterwards. Uh, he said, Guys, uh, the kids are learning this thing on the piano, and I can kind of hear our initials in this little um, audio signature. And of course, a lot of the work we do with the brands is commonly around how they sound and, and audio signatures and all that sort of stuff. So there's a little bit of a, what we call a mnemonic, an audio signature behind our name as well, which is basically just a bit of a funny gag. And that's the real story. The other side is most people see it as this kind of like initials of, a, of an advertising firm, but it's actually just a bit of fun. I've never heard of knuckles before. Is that similar to chopsticks? Yeah, very yeah, similar. Kind of so, so you can so. tell I'm old because it was yeah. chopsticks. Yeah, chopsticks, knuckle songs. Yeah, <laughs> chopsticks. Sometimes is the easier way of putting that across. But uh, there you go. Maybe we could maybe we could drop that one in afterwards. But yeah, there's a bit of fun behind it. Cool. So uh, we have had a conversation before um, about considering how brands uh, use sonic signatures. Anything to do with sound. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, and opportunities elsewhere in industry and life to help doing this. So, you have worked with a transport company already. Yeah. Actually, just before we go on that, just to rewind, because Mm. when you said about um, meeting with Max and having that conversation, my first thing was... What's a sonic sound? I'd never heard of it before. Sure. It's a diddle and dun dun. Yeah. Exactly. I, I know, but, <laughs> no, many no, no. Our, but many of our listeners might be like me, but as soon as you explain it and you yep. mention some of the brands, you actually think, oh, yes, that's one of those. Yeah, so. absolutely. I mean, very <laughs> traditional, iconic examples in our world that typically are referenced time and time again. Probably if we start with maybe because it's relevant, British Airways and their use over time of the Lac Mayflower duet. Um, is referenced very, very 
heavily in our world of kind of sonic branding. So when whenever you walk on board a British Airways aircraft, that theme from the Lackmay flag you have filters across the aircraft and into their communications, etc. Does it? Plus, yeah, it does, yeah, absolutely. I've never yeah. noticed. By the composer Leo Delib. They really sort of over yeah, time... Yeah, because it won loads of awards at the time, didn't it? Absolutely, yeah. It was, they really iconically... That's, they used a piece of music that was already out there in the world, if you like, and, and sort of coined that and have used it so consistently over time that it's very heavily attributed to them. Um, similarly, in, in more sort of audio signature terms, you've got things like McDonald's and I'm Loving It is referenced time and time again. Da, Intel, da, da, da. that's the one. It um, was the Intel one that Intel. went, as soon as I saw, yeah. that was the first one that came up in the search engine. These are like sonic branding classics that are referenced, you know, in literature and books. If you see articles, typically, these, these are the kind of things that we reference. Interestingly, the Intel bomb, I've seen some statistics somewhere that apparently it's the world's most ever played piece of music. Um, and mm-hmm. it was written by a guy called Walter Wawoza. Um, Is he and, making um, lots of money? I don't know, it would be interesting to ask him, wouldn't it? Wouldn't it? Royalties um, from every ad. Yeah, absolutely. But obviously that's, um, that, that's another iconic example as well. Okay, you can carry on then. Yeah. <laughs> now that we've explained what's Now it that is. we know what they are, we can recognise them and we need one. Um, you mentioned that you work in transport companies, so I'm allowed to name the companies? Absolutely, yeah. Cool. yeah. So Far away, yeah. Uh, you have you previously paid for me uh, the Norwegian Airlines yep. thing, and could you tell us just a bit about how? So, I guess for Johanna's benefit, because you haven't had this conversation, is Norwegian commissioned you to make a sonic signature, and now that there is this this harmony across all of their brands, whether it's the airline or. And I think there is a for Norwegian. There is a video on YouTube, isn't yeah, there? Absolutely. About how you did that. Yeah, yeah, there is. That's correct. We'll put a link in the description. Yeah. Um, but how, if someone says to you, I want to come and do a sonic signature, the yeah. question is why they do it mm-hmm. if they're not sort of a, a main commercial brand yeah. and also how you do it yeah. and how do you know if it's been successful? Good questions. You might have to remind me of them. Oh, that's, a lot, that's a lot <laughs> yeah. of questions. That's three. I'll write them down. So <laughs> the first question was why, I think. Why do you yeah. do it in the first place? And... Typically, conversations in the, in the world of sound are very new for most brand leaders and marketeers. These are things that most people haven't embarked upon before. If we take the rail space even as, as an example, they are very iconic visual brands that we all recognise very, very quickly. There are less well-known examples of how they sound and how we would recognise those brands for how they sound. And that's a very good starting point because in industries that uh, are very unsaturated with sound, obviously there's an opportunity to, to, for marketers to drive standout and preference and recall. Exactly. Recall, recognition, all those kinds of things that people want as marketers. They want brand equity, they want to stand out in the marketplace. That's often quite a good starting, starting place and that's normally what the brief looks like. We know what we look like as a brand, what do we sound like as a brand is typically where these things start. Where I think uh, agencies such as ourselves come into play is to look at the broader applications of sound beyond just an audio signature or a piece of music that becomes associated um, with that brand. Liam, some of the things we were talking about in the past have included you know, how music can change behaviour, how it can affect um, you know, uh, the ways our sort of behavioural actions, I suppose, is what I'm saying. And that's quite interesting as well. So I think there's not just the, the kind of very classic examples of perhaps where sonic branding has been, which is basically an audio logo, if you like, but actually what we're interested in as an agency is actually the broader applications of music and sound and how we can solve brand challenges and business challenges with music and sound as the creative solution to that as well. 
Um, your second question How do you go about developing one? Um, good, another very, very good question. So, obviously, whenever a client embarks upon a music and sound project, often they want to dive straight into the, to the making of the music straight away. They the want to get in the studio, they want to be working with writers, and, but that's, that's the fun stuff. But before we do any of that, we embark upon um, quite a quite hefty and, and deep development process that looks at what is the challenge here, what is the brand, what do they stand for, what are the values behind them, and actually how can we derive music and, and create a sonic architecture and a sonic identity that actually is born from the DNA of that business itself. Um, and, and, and that's, that's a lengthy process of, of looking at actually what that business stands for, who it's communicating with, what its history is, what its ambitions are for the future. Um, we, we go through a process of putting in place uh, a brand architecture, I suppose, of, of you know, as we all know, music is such a, such a subjective thing. Yeah. What I like, you might not like. And, 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 and that's, that's something that we come up against time and time again. So, but then you remember things you don't like. That is very true. <laughs> uh, that is very, very true. But, but when we're evaluating work as a group of people, because obviously these are, these are business projects, they're not, they're not just for fun, um, it's really important that all stakeholders at all times can, can actually make a, a business commercial um, uh, like appraisal also, of work. It's really important because if you're putting a sound to your brand, mm. you're saying something about yourself, aren't you? Absolutely, yeah. So you have to deep dive into what what the brand values are and and that to convey that in a tune absolutely otherwise you're going to end up with ultimately uh creative assets that have absolutely nothing to do with your yeah with, with the brand that you're trying to convey so it, it it really is about trying to capture that dna and that and, and everything that that brand stands for right up front and getting that strategy right that will also look at all of the touch points that that, that brand has at its disposal as well. And what's really interesting when we go through this process with clients is that typically they find that there's many more touch points at their disposal than they first think. If we take an airline, for example, it isn't just the television adverts that you see in the radio ads or, or your kind of social media, whatever it might be. Cool, it was the entire uh, consumer journey of the moment you step on board that aircraft, uh, if you see them on TV or whatever it might be, your lounge experience, your journey from the moment that you even think about buying a ticket uh, on the airline, what does that journey look How like? How many touch points to Norwegian have? I mean, there were loads. When we delivered that project, there was something like over a hundred assets that were delivered that scaled right from those tiny, if you like, we'll call them audio signatures, um, that, that appear that are almost like the sign-off in an advertising context, right up to an over half an hour boarding suite of music that wasn't just a loop; it was an entire piece of music that was designed to really drive home relaxation in that setting. That was juxtaposed, if you like, with, you know, you, when, you're, when you're as a low-cost carrier, which is what they are, they need to drive home messages of, um, you know, of low prices and sales, if you like. So when you're in a sales environment, that sound needs to be much more brash, much more in your face. But the, the, the boarding uh, environment and, and the journey that you want to take passengers on there, it needs to be really relaxing. And that was actually born from the, um, the managing director of Norwegian, um, was on a flight very late at night in uh, JFK and they'd gone on board the flight and prior to doing this project they just played kind of pop commercial music and it really angered them that 
that they were on this flight, you know, getting ready, if you like, for an overnight flight back into London, and um, and it was basically bla- blaring pop music, which was just really inappropriate. When so did, we they, when did they do <laughs> projects? When did they? It was. It got released a couple of years ago now, right. and it's, so it's been in existence. I've got to say, because I've flown on Norwegian on an overnight flight, and I can't say I noticed. Right, but that I mean, might have been successful. Then. Probably a good thing. <laughs> yeah. you know. I don't you see because I, I did my usual sort of like have something to eat, have a couple of drinks, get on the plane, go to sleep. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Wake up at Gatwick, and I'm fine. Yeah, yeah. But then that might be that's what they plan for you to do. That's what I want. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Okay, interesting. And then, uh, so, well, probably leads me into then uh, the measures of success yep. for these. Do you, uh, do you hope that people will be humming these tunes? I think it kind of depends on the context um, that you're in. I think there are definitely um, a lot of projects where the ambition clients is that you know people remember those things and they're humming it under their breath we've got quite a few projects on at the moment where one of the actual just initial when work is presented one of the measures of success even that I live by when we're practicing work is that I'll listen to it in the evening and if I wake up the next day and I can hum it over my breakfast cup of coffee then then we're on to something if you can't do that often you're not quite in, this, in, in, in the right yeah. space but that's for brands who really want to drive um, pieces of sound that become part of, of the sort of fabric of our lives, I suppose, things that we like. You were right, Liam, in saying that there are a number of things, and there's a number of examples out there. They're actually quite irritating, and they're designed to be irritating, yeah. and, and kind of slap you around the face. And so, you know, do, do you, uh, you probably, I'm just thinking aloud, you, if you look at like webuyanycar.com, who've now gone right down to the da 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 Not the most, it's not the kind of thing I'm gonna hum over my breakfast cup of coffee, but it's kind of a part of my psyche. We can all, I can sing that and everyone locks onto it very quickly and we know what we're talking about. Um, similarly, you've got, we did something the other day down the road actually at the Soho Hotel where we played, um, it might be interesting to kind of weave this into the, into the podcast here. We played an audience, the first opening two seconds of, of uh, Billie Jean uh, by Michael Jackson, the, the, the drum group that, that the track starts with. And you can just play people a tiny snippet of, of a drum group with absolutely no context whatsoever. And the whole room, the whole audience of maybe 350 people immediately said, that's Billie Jean. And that's really interesting. Um, and I think that's, that's, I suppose, if we're talking about measures of success, that is one of those things that anyone doing a project like this uh, in, in the world of sound, that's the desire for anyone, that you're creating things that become part of our kind of, they ingrain themselves in our minds. And, you know, that's an amazing uh, feet I think and one of music's great powers that you can play people something something that people might not have heard in a while and it's and it's it's instantly uh recalled by our brains and 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 that is one of the really impressive qualities about music I suppose and then that saves you having to spend money on longer adverts because you if you play the tune they already know what brand you're talking about absolutely yeah of course so effectiveness is obviously a massive thing in the world of, of, of brands and advertising across across all parts of the consumer journey and anything that drives those levels of recall and emotional um, preference uh, are very, very, very powerful for marketers. They want to make sure that every pound they spend in those contexts is being utilised in the best ways possible. And I think for a long time, music's been not, it's always been the thing that, that, that people always kind of consider last in their, in their branding processes. But what we've seen over the last 12 months and 24 months, I would say, is that really shoots to the top of the agendas of marketers across the world. People are taking this stuff really seriously at the moment, what, which is why great. Why do you think that is? I think there's been there's a couple of reasons for it. Um, the first is that there's been some quite big brands this year release some pretty big identities. So the likes of Mastercard, 
um, have released the Sonic Identity this year. That's been quite big in, in, in the press. The idea is there that whenever you so much as uh, tap your contactless card on a, uh, on a payment, um, that the, the, the sound is present and that there are many opportunities in the world now where sometimes we don't see a visual brand. We're turning our, our, kind of, our eyes away as consumers to, to visual media. We're bombarded with it day in, day out. And so brands are needing to find consumers in new ways, places that we, we always say places that... So the, now with MasterCard, when yeah. you touch, it plays a tune, does it? There are, there are environments that, that that happens. Not in all merchants, yeah. I don't believe, at the moment. Depends, that's depends, our ambition. Depending on the reader yeah, exactly. you've got, exactly. so it will play a tune. Exactly, yeah, you'll so, hear their sound in that environment. So is part of that related to sort of like a growth in people thinking about an overall experience, that everything's not just about the transaction anymore, it's about how I, how I feel and how that experience makes me feel? Is that part of that wider trend absolutely yeah that's the big trend in in brand land at the moment i suppose is it's the experience economy is what it's called looking at actually how not only you can communicate a message but how you can make people's lives better i believe in the mastercard example that their ambition is to do up to one million tiny little activations um this year and uh, as a brand you know that, that's, trying, that's trying to put its, its message across and that their ambition is that obviously there's a lot of moments within those, uh, those activations that you might not be able to see MasterCard but that's an opportunity for them to drive their sound home and to, you know, to build equity in that way which is quite powerful so there's, been, there's the experience economy side of things but there's also the fact that we've got connected homes now, connected technologies things are moving into very voice-enabled environments as well. And it's not going to be long until people are booking tickets to Brighton, for example, and, and, hey, Alexa, can you get me on the 1204 train from London Bridge down to Brighton, and your ticket will be booked. So brands have really got to think about what their identity is in those spaces as that becomes more and more prolific over the years to come. Yeah, and you don't also deal with the end user, the end brand, if you're booking a voice-based ticket. Exactly. You don't see the website and everything else. Exactly. Which brings... So, I was going to say, that brings us on to... Well, I'm, I don't know. I don't... You, well, I was going to like, come to another question then, which well, you hopefully go, is... You go. Well, we'll see. Uh, my experience working for Transport for London is that they value the estate, their advertising estate, based on how many eyes see it. Yeah. So you know how many passengers are passing through, they know how many eyes are going to see it. Yeah. Has that happened in the audio space? Has it been quantified how many ears hear it? And if so, are there more opportunities for ears than eyes? Very good question, yes. So the conference I was talking about at the Soho Hotel the other day was awash with the sort of industry leaders who who have been working very hard to quantify the data behind, the analytics behind um, how many listeners ultimately are on um, on new platforms and, and new technologies, which was really interesting to me. That was even a bit of an eye opener. That conference is called The Future of Audio. Um, and it might be worth if any of your listeners are interested um, in, it's not my complete area of expertise, the sort of data and analytics behind how these things are measured, but um, it, was very, it was very insightful even for myself, um, looking at some of the industry leaders, really, really, it's a fight for how we can really quantify this world. And I was really impressed, like there's some really good technologies. The world of podcasting now is very, very, the analytics behind it is very, very, very strong. You've got all sorts of statistics about how, you know, the, the amount of audio that your sort of average human being that is listening to on a, on a daily basis is huge. It's kind of, you know, people are, the world of podcasting is, is absolutely massive. People are listening to a huge amount of, uh, yeah, I'm sure they will be right now, um, listening to a huge amount of audio day in, day out. And of course, 
as those worlds become more and more commercialised, um, all of the in the same way as, as TFL, you know, the advertisers are going to want to know well, how valuable is this media estate based on um, based on the amount of people ultimately they're listening. Yeah. Um, so yeah. And on uh, with regard to uh, sorry, visual advertising, yeah. is you have a whole you could have a whole big book, big billboard and you can only have the, the brand identity sort of down in the corner, but you still pick it out amongst the noise. For sound, do you need to just be hearing the sonic signature or can you hear it through lots of background noise? Yeah, absolutely. So what we typically see is it's, it's not just about that signature. That signature, if you like, is the, is the distilled essence of everything that that brand stands for in music and sound on a broader scale. And so what we say about sonic branding is very simply that it's just anywhere that you hear um, anywhere that you hear a brand. So the space that we're sitting in now has an acoustic about it. And if you like, this is a, a bit of the, the, this is the sonic brand of this space, I suppose, um, in some ways. And so what we encourage clients to think about is much, much broader than just a, a sign off or just an asset, but actually what's the entire world of sound that you're, that you're looking at, be that from the environment that you're in through to actually how you can start tailing that environment with sounds of your own and, and also Within those, uh, if you like, the, the signatures and logos that you've, that you've mentioned there, the actual compositional, the musical DNA of those, being able to very subtly weave that into other environments as well, creates an entire musical landscape that, that's completely defined and completely bespoke to that brand. So it's, I think there's, there's big opportunity for people to think really holistically about, about sound and you know, it's, it's, it's all around us all the time. You can't escape it. You can shut your eyes and, and avoid an advert, can't you? But you can't. Other than your bogus noise cancelling <laughs> headphones, it's quite difficult to avoid. No, but it's interesting, sort of like saying, because here we are, you know, sat in a, in a chapel and yeah. it does have a sound, doesn't it? Absolutely. Yeah. I almost feel like we should be whispering because we're in here, do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's the, the, the certain, it forces us the environments that we're in force us to behave in, in very different ways. So, um, and, yeah. and, and, it, and with that comes a, comes a certain aura as well, particularly with this space. So, um, yeah, they can be very powerful with the environments that we're in, I think, sonically. I think, um, well, where I was going to go back to, because before I sort of like rudely interrupted Nasset George was playing, you were going to say that you're working with transport clients. I mean, like we mentioned Norwegian. Who else have you worked with? There's all sorts. I mean, we're doing a lot of stuff. There's a lot of conversations going on at the moment, which are all quite hush-hush about, particularly with cars. Electric vehicles uh, are obviously massive. Um, oh, because they have to now. make a noise. They have to make a noise. Yeah. Yes. Um, and so there's a lot of conversations going on with, with a lot of car brands around actually what... Are, you know, there's actual legislation in place, yeah. government legislation, about you know how's that vehicle going to sound and so there's the, these are very early days in that world but that's something certainly to keep an eye on um i mean you got i've got a question kind of back to you guys as well which is in in from your perspective um knowing what you do about about the rail industry i would imagine that sounds probably not been something that's been too too well, heavily focused on no, before or has it i don't well, know well, I've, I've got two things on that which you know asking that question back to because I think in the UK and probably to a certain extent Europe sounds are to do with safety yeah yeah so and so like door sounds but it's all uh, 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 mm. and piercing I thought, yeah piercing and I thought that was really interesting when you were saying about you know the way it makes you feel and the experience yeah. and it's there for safety but actually what it does is it puts you on edge 
Yeah. And in the work that I did at HS2, we spoke a lot about pain points within customer journeys, and that was one of the reasons why I was interested in sort of like how many, you know, touch points were there in Norwegian, yeah. and the yeah. whole point about, you know, the different types of points that you touch points that you have is that at different times you want people to feel differently, don't yeah, you? Yeah, of course. And yeah. when they're on their journey, you know, you want them to feel relaxed. You don't want them to feel those pain points. Whereas sort of like those, although they're there for safety, they do make you feel on edge, you know. And everything, it's it's very intense, I think, in the UK railway system. You know, everything's, you know, it's don't go there, it's shouty, it's busy, it's noisy, it is, you know, it it's an offence to the art. And why I brought that up was because Japan yeah. have obviously done lots of work in this area because yeah. on their metro system they have a whole symphony mm, yes. of different sounds that tells you so you can identify what line you're on just yeah. by the sound and they don't and they also don't have uh, 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 yeah. on their doors they have a nice melodic melody that the doors are closing and I, I did a study tour to Japan a few years ago and I asked them about this because one of the reasons why I asked them was because on the end of their escalators, I was a, I, I hadn't realised this, but um, I um, I thought birds were trapped in the ceiling. Right. And it was because they have birds tweet when you get to the end of an escalator and it's recognised as you're coming to the end of the yeah, escalator. Yeah. So they thought a lot about sound yeah. to make people feel relaxed on their journey. And that's why, and because they, they, and when I asked them why they do it that way, I say because it's offensive to the Japanese ears. Really, that's interesting. Did well, it actually, work? actually, it's offensive to everybody's ears. It's just that they really, they really get, you know, wanting to relax the passenger. Yeah. Did it work for you? Um, it did, yes, yeah. because it just, um, it just feels more pleasant. Mm. You yeah. know, you don't feel it doesn't put you on edge. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, so I think you know. I think it would be interesting to have different tunes for different lines because not just from an experience point of view, but how could that benefit people who have um, visual impairments? Yeah, absolutely, yeah, accessibility. You know, or yeah, absolutely. You know what? You know how could we use that? You know, what would you recommend? I think that's fascinating. There's a re- just while it's on my mind, there's a really interesting thing that I mean, it was a bit of a brand stunt, but nonetheless, it's quite impressive. Um, on the same subject, there was a collaboration that Heineken did on the uh, New York uh, subway a few years ago now. But of course, it's the classic thing of when you, if you like, in our terms, you tap your tap your card on the reader or your Oyster card on the on the reader, you get that quite abrasive sound that you were just describing there. Um, they did this lovely thing where they worked with a sound designer, uh, so that when that quite abrasive sound did happen, it wasn't it was replaced with a, with a kind of symphony of quite interesting sounds. There was this musical collage that was created um, in collaboration with the sound designer within that environment, which turned what is quite an ugly uh, and quite abrasive aesthetic into something that was really quite peaceful and calm and quite lovely, and I guess in itself a piece of almost like sonic art, if you like. Yeah. There was something of the contemporary art about it. And I think that ties in quite nicely with what you were saying there just about Japan. But I think, um, I mean, that is fundamentally uh, big. If we're talking about, you know, our ambition is always to get clients to think holistically. What an example of holistic thinking to have gone into that much detail, the Japanese with their railway system, um, in that way, particularly, as you say, with, with the lines and the accessibility and... and uh, and, and I, it almost makes sense, doesn't it? it it's like another. But, yeah. it's, a, it's another way of guiding 
you know, people and humanity through your through what is a very complex thing. Yeah, because you know? each line has a colour. Yeah. But it doesn't have a sound. And I think that is a really interesting concept. Yeah. I think you should approach TFL with it. There you go. Well, here's the maybe this is cup. the nucleus. This is the <laughs> nucleus of the idea. But I mean, it, yeah, it to- it totally makes sense. And and if you even take TFL as an example, you know, it is characterised. It is a. It's in, a, in its current state, it's a very sonically, it's quite abrasive, I think. I don't know whether you'd agree or not. Um, but, but it's a very, it's very sensory from a sound perspective, isn't it? Be it uh, and, purposeful or otherwise. And that's part of, you know, where I was saying about pain points on people's yeah. journey. Yeah. You know, feeling overloaded with yeah. everything that's going on around you. You know, whether it be noise, whether it be visual or whatever, yeah. that all leads to you feeling anxious about your journey. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And I and I think you know what's interesting about that as well is um, they did some research in the Netherlands as well, where they've done some things with with music. Um, that I don't know whether they've rolled it out, but they did a pilot in Rotterdam, mm. where they used different types of music at different types of day to reflect the behaviour of people using their stations. Yeah, yeah. So in the morning when people are on their way to work, they played sort of like, you know, upbeat music because they wanted yeah. people to get through the station quickly. But in the evening when it wasn't so tense, they were like, you know, and people were more in a good mood because they were on their way home and they, like, they played jazz music because yeah. people were sort of like, you know, chilling down, might be having a glass of wine or whatever on yeah. their way home to relax and I think it's interesting you know, how music can make you feel different it does doesn't it I mean look if we take it even the way that we that we drive when we're behind the wheel uh, of our cars if, if we're listening to a piece of heavy rock music we're going to drive in a very very different way <laughs> so then if we're list- listening to a very lyrical yes. piece of music when you go running yeah. depending on exactly. what you're listening to it completely changes our behaviour but I, I, th- I think that's fascinating I think we also can't talk about this area without probably mentioning SNCF in yeah. France Obviously, very iconic use of, of sound. Um, see if we can find that and play that in the background now. I mean, it's one that we already you know from the minute you step off, a, 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 if you get the Eurostar across to, to Gardinoi, you'll probably hear it within Can you impersonate it for us? I'm not going to try and sing it. <laughs> That's one thing you won't get out of me. It's quite a difficult one to sing, I think. But, um, uh, there is one on, I think it's Southern have one as well. Do It's that when the announcements that a train is coming through, there's definitely a particular tune they play. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the other thing, of course, to mention as well, just on the subject where we were talking about the tubes, is we should also probably mention voice as well. You know, the amount of people that you hear impersonating Mind the Gap yeah. um, between the train and the platform, tourists. True, so, true. You know, there's a real sense of, of Britishness, isn't there, within that? And um, furthermore, it's a, you know, voice is such a powerful way of, of, of conveying character. And I think what TFL have done really well is to liberate a lot of their staff to be themselves when they're. Doing, yes. their, doing their station announcements and everything. That's a really nice, lovely embodiment of the brand, which is about the people that are behind it. And that's a very, you know, in what could be a very kind of sterile corporate uh, thing that you get a very kind of straight uh, delivery. It's lovely to see personality there. And I think that really brings the whole system to life. And I assume that some of that is because when it's different every time, you are more likely to listen to the actual words yeah. than just the same announcement every single time. Yeah, but I think, I would imagine, and maybe you guys can tell me whether you know anything about this, but I would imagine that it's maybe a, a, a kind of a, a brand decision at some point to say, actually, we're perfectly happy for the drivers to be slightly comical or whatever it might be. You know, there's, yeah. you, we all know there's, there's always those But moments. I think that's part of a trend, isn't it? About Absolutely, sort yeah. of like following, you know, that you you have a brand and you must follow it yeah. um, and say everything to the letter to, as opposed to... 
being my authentic self at yeah. work and the fact that we don't all have to you know if we want pink hair we can have pink hair if we want to wear earrings or whatever we can do it's not you know there's more flexible it's become more liberal hasn't it and i think that's great a voice is a part of what clients often you know consider as part of their sonic identity really it's such a powerful conveyor you know if, if we picked up the phone to one another we're both a form and opinion on how we look and, and how we behave very very quickly it's only until you meet someone that you, that you start to shape that a little bit um, so it's a very very powerful conveyor as well of, of a brand which is funny when that's what's taken out of all the online communication when you're messaging people yeah. is that none of the none of the message is conveyed and also you, can, you completely misinterpret what someone is saying when it's just text absolutely yeah absolutely yeah um, so if I could just bring you back to um, Please, yeah. one thing you mentioned about the um, behavioural change yep. of sound, and then talking about stations and staff making announcements and things, is are there opportunities that we're missing to nudge people to do things in a transport environment using sound that we just don't think about now? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we discussed a few the other day, didn't we? Just, just sort of on the spot. I mean, the classic example, I suppose, of a starting point is the uh, the bus garages that play classical music to uh, discourage anti antisocial behaviour. I think I believe that yeah. was a TFL initiative some time ago. But all sorts. I mean, um, we were talking the other day, weren't we, about particular environments along a station platform of yeah. of, of of where there's opportunity to, to play sounds. You know, sound is inherently uh, it has a lot of humanity behind it a lot of the time. You know, the, the very, what I always talk to everyone about really is that, right, what I find really uh, interesting, my interest in music really is that it's, uh, it's really the embodiment of, uh, it's made by people, it's created by people. There's a lot of humanity behind it. We were talking about, you know, um, ways to, to, I suppose, discourage people from, if, if anyone is thinking about jumping in front of the tracks or whatever it might be, so that there's an opportunity there um, within the station environment, but, but I mean all sorts along the journey. You know, we, we're so responsive to the sounds around us. Yeah. Another very good example, just on a, on, a, on a humanity thing, is that a study was done where they uh, took the sound off people's iPhone lock. So you put, people were locking their phones, putting it in their pocket, and then what they do a couple of minutes later is just check. If they haven't heard that sound that it's locked, then, then they're checking their phones. Yeah. So all the, and then we call those things more kind of ear cons. So like icons, but ear cons. And those little nudges in life that tell us to do things and all, and, and all those sorts of things can be really powerful. So it's not necessarily always about broad pieces of music or whatever it might be that we've been talking about throughout this conversation. But what are those little nudges along the journey as well? Yeah, I remember the advertising campaign from Volkswagen about all the thousands of times trying to make the door close the sound the car makes when the door closes. Yeah, yeah. The reassuring sound. Yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And, and there's a lot of... Uh, <laughs> remember that? Because we, we, we don't have one now, but we've had a Volkswagen, and I always slam the door, and my husband always says, door shut. <laughs> Do you feel satisfied with that? Yeah. Do you feel like you've got the right, the right sound? They have got the sound right on that. Yeah. <laughs> There are a lot of acousticians and, and kind of uh, engineers, you know, sort of sonic engineers that, that are within, particularly the more, the more premium car brands get. You know, they really care about how all of those little features sound, and that's a classic example that you just uh, yeah. shared there with, with Volkswagen. Well, it works, yeah. I remember it. Yeah, absolutely. Cool. All right. But I think, but I think that is interesting, just sort of, you know, just sort of like wrapping up base and, you know, that whole experience isn't it is thinking about everything you know how yeah. it all fits together you know and just 
with you saying about you know, um, feeling, because that's what music does more yeah. than anything else, isn't it? Even if it's just a little jingle, you know, or something you hear in the background, it makes you know, or or even if it's just you know, crowds or whatever everything makes you feel something if you hear it doesn't take in a way that maybe if you see something it doesn't do absolutely yeah. yeah um they become you know they become part of the fabric of our lives those things don't they sort of subconsciously or not sometimes sometimes very consciously sometimes subconsciously so yeah just I'll, thinking I'll actually on that is we often um having conversations about helping people with autism get through busy environments do you think that there is a way that you could have a sound that sort of comforts them through overstimulation through an environment so that like, there's a sound that's always there that blocks out everything else I think there's a study in that probably I'm no scientist or, or, or um, I'm no psychologist but there's uh, yeah I mean I'd, I, I would always just say yeah I, I mean it's that yeah, yeah we'll do that with consultancy yeah yeah, absolutely, yeah. <laughs> um but no I mean I I, uh, I think that that's a, that's a very interesting concept and one that um it'd be, I mean, it'd be fascinating to, to find out wouldn't it right natural for us yeah. Action for us. Yeah. Well, Max, thank you very much. That was fascinating. I've got one last question. Oh, okay. Fire at me, yeah. One last thing. One last thing. <laughs> What's your favourite tune? Oh, it's a difficult one. Well, I always give the example of my morning kind of ritual is I'll get up and the first thing I do is I plonk on uh, LBC radio. And I don't know whether you listen to it. So with Nick Ferrari at breakfast is my big thing. And so that is such a... It's, it's so repetitive in, 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 my, in my working week that it becomes such a, it kind of get that sound of their, their, their sting, which might be one to drop in here, becomes quite a sort of, a, kind of gets me in the zone for the day ahead. So it's a real, um, you know, it, it's a real kind of marker of as soon as that radio is on, as soon as I hear Nick Ferrari's voice and I hear the, the, uh, the, the sort of new sting, if you like, the, and, the, and the beds that sit around it, it really characterises, I guess, my kind of, uh, my working uh, days and gets me sort of ready for the, for the day ahead. Wow. Um, See, I'm Radio Four. You're Radio Four, okay, lovely. Yeah. See, so I so I start off the with beep, the morning, beep, beep. the morning briefing, right? Oh, and nice. then I know when they finish the paper review, it's time to get up. Yeah. <laughs> nice. <laughs> and I'm not answering that. <laughs> 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 nice. All right. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thank you. That's been really interesting. Cheers. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening to What Moves Us.